This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today we've got two guests. Uh, First is a guy named Jeff Heckman. Jeff is the director of e-commerce and new product development for Topps, you know, the baseball card company. Uh, Sports cards right now are blowing up and right now it is no time hotter to be buying and selling cards. The market is just on fire. Tops has been putting out stuff, and there's things going for like $8,000 and more. Um, so today, we talked to Jeff about the changing landscape of sports cards. And then second, we've got Pat Cavanaugh. He is the founder and president of Ready Nutrition, a sports nutrition company making clean energy bars and sports drinks and the whole thing. He's a former uh, pit hoop star. Uh, who's been an entrepreneur since uh, day one. Very interesting conversation with him. He talks about the sports nutrition business along with uh, his relationship with former Pitt star and NFL All-Pro Aaron Donald, plus the dozens of leagues uh, and conferences he is currently working with with his company, uh, Ready Nutrition. So uh, hope you enjoy today's program with two different guests. Uh, and here we Go. Before we get to today's podcast, I just want to say we have great listeners and want more people to be able to get the content that you love. To help spread the front office features word, we need you to do a few things. First, follow us on social media. Search front office features on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for tons of content to help your growing sports business career. We also need you to rate and review on our Apple and Spotify podcast pages. The more you do that, the easier it is for others to find front office features. If you have already done that, thank you. Now go share this episode on your Instagram story. Today our guest is Jeff Heckman. Jeff is the global director of e-commerce for Tops. Uh, Jeff, welcome to Front Office Features. Hey, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. Uh, we love getting all different points of view um, from uh, people in sports. And sports just is not, uh, you know, four or five uh, different uh, sporting leagues and such. It's, uh, it's, it's really a, a global, um, multifaceted uh, industry. Um, with that being said, you kind of want to take us through uh, to use a comic book uh, phrase, what is your origin story? I'm not a comic book guy, but that's what they tell me what it's called. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not as much either. Although with the whole pandemic, been watching a lot more of the Marvel movies with my son, so trying to catch up. Um, oh, there you go. But uh, yeah, no. So um, after I graduated college, um, I, you know, I always thought I wanted to work in the sports industry. So um, I moved out to um, Los Angeles and joined the LA Galaxy, so the MLS team out there. So I worked in the front office of the LA Galaxy. I was um, in a sales role working what they called the fan development group. So, you know, our main goal was to partner with youth soccer organizations or other groups um, in order to provide, you know, services from the Galaxy with the ultimate goal for them to come out and watch the games at the stadium. So um, I grew up playing soccer, still play today. So it was, you know, something I was passionate about. So I did that for a couple of years working for the uh, Galaxy's front office. I always like to call it kind of the dark, dark ages of MLS. Like I got So what what was it like? That was in the beginning stages yeah. of MLS. What drew you to MLS in the times of its infancy? Yeah. What year was that too, by the way, that you worked? 2001. So it was, it was five years in. So it started in 96. I was still in college. 
I went to school in Virginia, so DC United was big. So I remember traveling up and going to a few games there. And then I'm from Chicago, and the fire started in '98. So one of my summers home from college, we went to a bunch of games at Soldier Field. So I enjoyed watching it. And um, but when I got to MLS, um, they were going through some tough times. Like a month after I started, they contracted two of the teams in uh, Florida, so they got rid of the team in Miami and Tampa Bay. So it was. It was certainly challenging times, and the team at the time played in the Rose Bowl. So I'm out there selling tickets to a 90,000-seat stadium. So there really is hardly any sense of urgency for anyone to buy a ticket because there's 90,000 seats. So Yeah, there's no demand, you know, supply and demand. The supply yeah, is great. Like, yeah, we had one or two games a year, like 4th of July during fireworks or something like that, where we draw, where we draw over like 30,000 fans, but most of the games were like, 15 to 25,000 and um, with California there's so many different entertainment options so having the games on the weekends we really had to get creative with these packages we put together for youth soccer for corporate America to come to games so it was it was pretty scrappy I mean um, you know the offices were you know all the kind of the you know at UCLA was similar we had like a trailer outside the Rose Bowl where all the you know the front office sat and um, that's where we did things for the first year and a half I was there and then they built the brand new soccer specific stadium in Carson, California. At the time, it was called Home Depot. Now I think it's had like three or four different names Dignity Health, I believe it's called. So that was cool. And that was great to help to open a new stadium, much smaller venue, 27,000 seats. So we got a lot more demand from the youth soccer um, uh, teams and organizations that were down in the South Bay and even Orange County, um, and then corporate America too. So. That was fun, and I worked there for a couple months after it opened, and then told you I was from Chicago, so I moved back there. Um, took a job with a startup sports ticketing company. Um, did that for a couple of years um, until I worked for a company called Intersports. So what did you to go back to the uh, startup sports company? What did you learn working for a startup that is different than kind of everything that you've done? Yeah, so I mean I, that was only my second job. So a startup was, um, you know, certainly much smaller. Um, you know, in a, a company where you did um, a lot more things, rolled up your sleeves, wore a lot of different hats. I mean, I started as a project manager. I went to director of operations. Then I kind of got on the partnership side. So no matter what you were doing, you were doing a bit of everything from talking to investors at the time, meeting with leagues, trying to get deals done, leagues and teams. Um, it was a website. So operating the, you know, day-to-day -day management and merchandising of a website. So, you know, from that extent, it was really cool to, kind of build something from the ground up. I wasn't one of the first employees there. I'd been around for a year or two, but um, when I was there, I was, you know, there was only five or 10 of us. So, you know, certainly kind of fun to do that. Um, at the same time, it came with its challenges with, you know, funding and sales and, and some of those things. So, that, you know, you kind of took the, you know, fun things of, uh, you know, working for a startup and sort of the challenging things of working for a startup. So that was, that was interesting. And then, you know, the company kind of got to a point where it pivoted and, um, Unfortunately, I was let go with half the other people. So, um, but at the time, I was looking for other things anyway. So, I took a job with a sports marketing company called uh, Intersport, um, and they do a bunch of stuff with um, event marketing and TV shows. So, some of the TV properties they own, you've probably heard of, the College Three Point and Slam Dunk competition is a big one that they do. Um, they do a lot of like one-off golf specials. So, you know how like the Masters before the Masters starts every year, of course, except for this one. They would do like a half an hour lead-in special, and it'd be like the 25th anniversary of Jack Nicholas's, you know, win. Oh yeah. They would like produce specials like that, and then sell all of the, you know, advertising and any of the brand integrations into any of that shows. So, I worked for Intersport for a couple of years. Um, as I worked for them, I went to Northwestern part-time to get my MBA. So I went at night to Northwestern, did the uh, the part-time program to get my MBA. Um, you know, I always wanted to get more involved in, you know, the branding side of it. Kind of my ultimate aspirations at the time were to work for somewhere like Nike or Gatorade or one of the big, you know, sports marketing, you know, companies. And um, so I did that. And then I ended up graduating right when the last economic recession hit us. So I graduated in 2009. So I was doing all my interviews at the end of 2008 when the economy was just really going downhill in a hurry. So, you know, the companies like PepsiCo and places like that. We're cutting back on jobs and not interviewing. So I pivoted entirely and worked for SC Johnson. So a traditional 
consumer packaged goods company. So I worked in brand management for SC Johnson for a few years. I worked on the Scrubbing Bubbles brand. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, so doing uh, bathroom cleaning, and uh, but it was you know even though it was very different than sports, it was it was still pretty fascinating and interesting to learn the building blocks of brand brand management to work for a true CPG company, um, understand about all the you know different things that go into producing a product to selling in stores like Target and Walmart to creating um, marketing campaigns that were you know at the time very heavily TV dependent but we're also evolving to digital and to social realms. So I did that for almost. Well, sorry, go ahead. One, one, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just find some of the stuff that you say interesting. So I like to interrupt. Um, yes. What um, you said, the building, building blocks of uh, building a brand. I think there's a lot of people who listen to our show who are marketing, uh, are marketing folks and they are uh, really uh, they're really into that. And whether you're building a brand like scrubbing bubbles or you're building a brand like a, a sports team or Nike or Gatorade or tops, um, that all kind of, you know, there's a lot of similarities. What are some of those building blocks that you learned at a, at a big, uh, CPG firm, um, like SC Johnson? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of kind of the typical things that, you know, I, I learned even in business school, but it's just, you know, it's, you know, the four P's and it's, you know, no matter how you look at it, some people like three C's, five C's, but really, like any brand, I mean, it starts with the uh, the customer, right? So you got to really understand and know who your customer is, um, you know, from your segmentation to know who's buying your product, who's buying your competitors' products, um, who you want to buy your product, um, you know. And then I think you look at the the landscape of, of your marketplace is, you know, for for something like scrubbing bubbles, it's it's a cleaner. Um, for for a lot of the scrubbing bubbles skews and products, they were bathroom specific. We also did some other things that could clean other surfaces and other areas. So you understand how people use your product. Um, and then from there, you really understand sort of the behaviors of what goes into, whether it's cleaning or whether it's a shoe or whether it is, is how people use it, how they want to use it, you know, what sort of new innovations can you bring um, to your category? Um, so those are all the real things that you try and, you know, look at, and then you look at your competitors, um, you look at the marketplaces, you look at your customers and your customers being your distribution models, where it's sold, is it sold in traditional retail and brick and mortar, which at, you know, 10 years ago, that was the majority of where things were sold, your targets, your Walmarts, your grocery stores, your drug stores. Now, of course, distribution has evolved considerably to e-commerce to, you know, even doing stuff on mobile apps. Um, but at the time it was very heavily focused on, you know, brick and mortar. So working with gotcha. Walmart, so you have to understand, you know, what's their objectives, what's their priority, what does your aisle look like in their stores? How do customers shop those different aisles? What do their baskets look like when they go into stores? So those are all kind of key factors and considerations. And then what that all adds all- to is what your ultimate marketing plan is, right? Like, you know, what messages you want to you know, market and get across to customers so that you can, you know, sell to them and make sure that you're hitting them with, you know, a saleable point and, you know, kind of your unique selling proposition, as they call it. All about all this stuff is transferable from scrubbing bubbles to selling tickets or um, or any other part of the or selling baseball cards. So uh, why don't you kind of continue on your on your journey to tops? I'm anxious to talk about tops as well. Yeah, so tops. So I, I joined tops and 2012 so i was doing the brand management thing at um sc johnson and um i talked to a recruiter and they had an opportunity at tops and i was like oh man that's cool i used to collect baseball cards and where are they based and oh they're based in new york okay cool i lived in chicago at the time you know new york's a great place to visit would love to to move there so um you know learned a little bit more about the company and they not only do they do trading cards but they do candy so we own bazooka joe ring pop um so some you know, really iconic traditional candy brands. So um, I interviewed for the job at Tops, and I started out in brand management. So I worked on our baseball card business was the primary thing I worked at, and I specialized on our Bowman brand. So I don't know how many people are listening, oh. but um, Bowman is heavily involved in minor leaguers and prospects. So at the time when I took the job, I was like, all right, you know, I'm a baseball fan. I grew up a Chicago White Sox fan. My dad took me to a bunch of games, but I wouldn't say I was – you know, very much following minor league baseball. I was following major league baseball. So at the time it was a bit of a challenge to learn about minor league baseball, but I, I dove right in and I started to, 
you know, follow different people on uh, Twitter, like uh, Keith Law and people who, you know, did a lot of ratings and rankings of prospects, baseball reference, baseball America, you know, really getting into it. And it was really cool and it was fun. So I worked on our baseball brand. And then I also branched out and did some other things like soccer and UFC. So I did traditional brand management at Tops for a couple years. And then an opportunity opened up on our e-commerce team. And at the time, it was 2014, e-commerce was getting a little bit bigger for Tops. And we were selling things like T-shirts and posters and patches and things that were using the Tops IP that weren't necessarily baseball cards. So it was, you know, a different um a different challenge and something different and new for me. So I joined the e-commerce team working on the product side and um, been with them ever since and kind of evolved down the way and evolved with what we've been doing on tops.com to uh, where we are today. And now um, lucky enough to um, manage multiple of our global sites for tops.com. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of sports cards? I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I'm 38 years old and as a kid, I, had boxes and boxes and binders full of uh, sports cards. Many of them were tops and Donruss and upper deck and Bowman and like everything else. Um, but now that business has changed, but there's also seems to be a heck of a resurgence um, in what's going on in the sports card world. Can you talk a little bit about the sports card business right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you hit it right on the head. So I'm 41. So, you know, grew up at a similar time to you. So I think a lot of people that are, um, probably from the age, I'd say like 30 to 45, baseball cards was a huge part of kids' childhood. Um, at the time, during the 80s and 90s, it was really the social currency. Certainly as technologies evolved and video games have become bigger and now, um, you know, mobile and, you know, games and different things you can do on that, it certainly changed. But baseball cards in the 80s and 90s were massive. And what happened during that time is, as you had all these companies like Topps, Downer, Upper Deck, Score, Fleer, um, really the supply started to outseed even the demand and a lot of people at the time were buying so many cards with the hopes that they'd appreciate in value and you'd pay for your college education and you'd get the Ken Griffey Jr. card, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, whatever it was. Um, so really what happened is, is there was a huge bubble and the bubble um, exploded in the mid-90s and then after that, trading cards kind of, um, the bottom fell out a little bit and they sort of, um, you know, declined for a bit of time. But as you mentioned, Really from, you know, probably a couple of years before I joined Tops in the 2010 decade, I'd say, is sports card has seen a heck of a resurgence. And it's really changed a, quite a bit from when we were kids collecting. Because what you would do is you'd go to, you know, your 7-Eleven, your convenience store, your grocery store, and you get a pack. And it cost a quarter. Maybe when Upper Deck came out, they were a dollar. And, you know, you just open a pack and you get five or ten cards and you just get picture cards. And you get them and you put them in your binder. You trade them with your friends. Nowadays with Tops, what we have is we have autograph cards that come in packs. We have um, relics, so you get a piece of a baseball card, a baseball player's jersey, their bat, a baseball, so like game-used items that will go into cards that have a lot of value in the fact that a player touched it, signed it, that it was used in a game. So we now have packs of cards that you can go to a store and you can get from anywhere from 99 cents. And then we have packs that are extremely premium that go for $25,000. And the $25,000 pack has 150 autograph cards on it. It has a cut signature from Babe Ruth. It has Mike Trout autos, Ken Griffey Jr., Derek Jeter, you know, all the stars of baseball and, you know, and other sports like football and hockey and basketball, similar. So I think what you've seen is a lot of people that used to collect in the 80s and 90s, now that they're a bit older, they have a little bit more disposable income, they appreciate the nostalgia and the fun of what collecting and opening cards used to be. So they've come back into the hobby. Um, and then also another thing that they have is they have kids. So they've exposed their kids to it and they collect with kids. I know my son has done everything from GPK to soccer to baseball to Stranger Things cards. And it's just kind of you know, fun and different for him, you know, to open packs and to see what those different things are because, you know, the excitement and the unexpected um, you know, thrill that you get when opening cards, that's pretty timeless and that hasn't gone, gone away. And nowadays what you get is the chase card. You know, are you going to get an autograph? Are you going to get a low-numbered card? We have a brand called Chrome. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's almost like a simulated metal and you can find a lot of rookie cards. Rookie cards are still that's awesome. in the industry. You know, everyone's looking for the next big rookie, whether last year it was Fernando Tatis Jr., Vlad Guerrero Jr., Pete Alonso. 
you know, everyone's looking for the next rookie card, and that's still a big driver in what's made sports cards have the resurgence they've had. No, it's uh, there was nothing, you know, when you talk about sports cards, it really brings me back to my childhood. I remember riding bikes up to the uh, to the baseball card shop and uh, seeing what they had and, you know, just going through all kinds of stuff. It really brings back fond memories uh, for me. And uh, I'm interested as you are, as you know, this whole business is changing and uh, going through like we talked about, it's totally changed from going to baseball card shops. What are and um, as you're the global director of the e-commerce world, uh, what type of products are you working on right now that is, that really excites you? Yeah, so I mean, I think you know you're right. Like, there's still hobby shops and there's still plenty of stores where people go, and you know, it is one of the still the lifebloods of what makes tops tops. But um, you know, I mean, the things that I think are really cool is as you know, technology and the, and the world has really changed from even the way that people consume their news. I mean, two of the most exciting things that we've done at tops.com recently is a program called Tops Now. So Tops Now, what we do is we chronicle the biggest moment in sports and pop culture as they've happened. So unfortunately, right now, um, they're in the extremely challenging time we're in with the pandemic. There are no live sports, but in, you know, if this was 2019, we'd be having Major League Baseball go on. So what Tops Now does is if a game happened the night before and Aaron Judge had a walk-off home run in the ninth inning, we would create a trading card of Aaron Judge hitting that home run. We'd put it on sale on Tops.com the next day. It'd be available for just 24 hours. People could buy it on Tops.com. It ships to you in three to five business days. So you own that specific moment of Aaron Judge hitting that home run. If you were at the Yankees game, it's even more meaningful to you because now you kind of own a piece of history that you can remember with your dad, your friends, your kid, wherever you went to the game with. Um, whereas traditionally with Tops, for us to you know print things through traditional means and printing presses, it would take anywhere from three to six months to do cards. And we'd have a Series 1, a Series 2, maybe a traded set when players would get traded during the course of the year. Now we can instantaneously capture moments. So Tops now is extremely fun and interesting. And then one other thing that we're working on that is um, near and dear to my heart has been Probably the most fun thing I've ever worked on at Tops is, you know, one of the trends that we've seen kind of in, you know, any industry and especially exploding in the sneaker industry is these collaborations. So you're seeing these artists and even brands that are working with companies like Nike, Adidas, that are working with, um, you know, even like fashion companies like Louis Vuitton and partnering with them to create special, special limited edition products. So we went and partnered with 20 different artists this year. And because the year is 2020, we picked 20 iconic Tops baseball cards from when we first started producing cards back in 1951. So you got like a 1952 Jackie Robinson in there, 1989 Ken Griffey, 1993 Derek Jeter, 1984 Don Mattingly. Just really recognizable, iconic cards that if you showed anybody the image, they'd be like, oh, I remember collecting that card. We partnered with these artists, allowed them the creative freedom to redesign these cards. And then we're selling them on tops.com for 48 hours. So you can go on there and get the Ben Baller, you know, Ichiro card for 48 hours. That's cool. Ben has designed, and then we print these. So a lot of our stuff is print on demand. So whether people order 150 of them, 10,000 of them, we'll print the number that are ordered and then ship them to customers in three to five days. So it has that sense of urgency, that sense of limited edition factor, which makes trading cards what they are. It's the built-in scarcity. And then with Project 2020, it's really kind of exposed us to um, some new collectors, some people that are running out to the StockXs and the sneaker app and places like that and buying things with the hope of, um, you know, ultimately collecting, maybe flipping them down the line someday. So Project 2020 is on tops.com right now, and that's been a lot of fun. And um, with live sports not going on, it's been something that um, we've been able to do. And I think um, you talked about brands. I think one of the cool things that's always attracted me to brands is really the heritage and the origin of what brands are. So Tops is an extremely interesting brand because it's been around for over 80 years. It started as a you know tobacco company, then went to gum, and it was a gum company. And like a lot of those companies back in the day, they wanted to sell more gum. So how do you do that with trading cards? So the company has been around for 50, you know, for over you know almost 70 years. Next year for baseball cards, there's so much heritage and things you can tap into to constantly create new products, lean into the past, do new things in the future. So that's been 
one of the most fun things for me about working for a brand like Tops. I also think too that this is just my personal opinion is, you know, with a brand like Tops, for people like me who grew up and like you, you know, trading cards and such, I think the resurgence also has a lot to do with, you know, the supply has gone down. As you talked about, there's way too many brands. And now you've got people who grew up with sports cards that now may have a little bit more money, disposable income than they've had before. And it's kind of something that brings them back uh, to when they were kids. It's very nostalgic, uh, which is cool. And to be able to teach their kids about it now that they probably have, you know, young kids, um, it seems like this is a, a good business to be in at the, at the, at this time. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, you hit on all those points. I mean, that's, you know, like when we look at kind of, you know, who our user base is, I mean, one of the things that really has helped with the resurgence is, you know, it's probably not the best name for them, but we kind of call them lapsed users is you think about, um, kind of the life cycle of what tops is or, or really people's lifetimes, right? A lot of people grow up and as your kids, from about six to 12, you know, cards could be a big part of your life, you know, in addition to a lot of other things that six to 12 year olds do. What we saw, and I went through this when I was younger, is about 12 to 14 years old, for whatever reason, people move on and do other things. Usually you're getting to around high school age. Maybe your parents aren't giving you allowance money. Maybe it's your own money. Maybe you're focusing more on sports. Maybe you're focusing on girls, whatever it is, right? Like huh. your cards at that point kind of fall off a little bit and then people you know usually go off to college or do whatever and then like you said once you get your first job once you start making a little bit of money as people get to their late 20s early 30s they've got a little bit more disposable income and they start to think about you know what other hobbies are they going to do in their lives and they remember you know the fun and the you know excitement they had as a kid opening packs and now there's so many different ways that you can enjoy tops so people are getting back into it they're getting back into it with their kids social media um, and doing stuff on things like YouTube has also really benefited someone like Tops. So now you don't even need to like go over to your friend's house to trade cards. Now you can open a pack, post something immediately on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, show people, trade online, sell things on eBay. There's a huge phenomenon called case breaking. So, you know, if you don't want to go out and buy an entire box or case of, you know, Tops products for $100 for $1,000, you can get in these case breaks where you're like, my favorite team's the Yankees. I'm going to spend 30 bucks, and any card this guy pulls that has a Yankees card, I get that card. Sometimes I might get really lucky, and there's an Aaron Judge Auto in there. Other times I might not get too many cards that I want, but it's kind of the whole fun and excitement of the process. You get to watch live. These guys doing the case breaks. You get to experience the thrills, the joys, the unfortunate yeah, right. getting cards. So I think you know a lot of the technology that people thought would make tops less relevant i.e everything's digital has almost really played into you know kind of the fun things that tops has done especially during a time now when most people are quarantined or in isolation you can still open cards you can still get yeah, it, to your home you can still share things with your friends you know online or over video you can still collect with your kid it's a great kind of activity that only takes one or two people to do it's very cool it's very cool and um uh, last question for you. You know, I, uh, as you know, this podcast is very much uh, driven towards the up and coming sports executive. You had an interesting path with the early days of uh, LA Galaxy. Um, and you've been around a lot of different uh, young executives. Uh, when they're coming out of college, what are some of the things that you look for when you're hiring? And what are some of the qualities uh, in a candidate that you highly value? Yeah, so I think the thing that, that I've that I've learned and and what I you know appreciate and look for most in candidates is really passion, really passion for not only the industry but really the brand and the business that you're going to work on, um, and then also the functional area that you're interviewing for. So if someone's coming to interview for Tops.com and you know they're looking for a design job or they're looking for a project management job, I want someone who's passionate about the company and then also your functional area. Because I've found that, you know, you almost can't even really teach passion. And, you know. No, it comes innate. Yeah, it just comes naturally, right? So the things. So, like, for me, like, being at the Galaxy, I love soccer. I played it. I was so passionate. I would run through a wall. Because what you see in the sports industry, what that passion leads to, is it leads to a curiosity and an ability to do things that are not necessarily what's expected out of you. So the people who really excel at your job responsibilities or X, Y, Z, the people that really excel 
are people that go above and beyond what their job responsibilities are, and they don't necessarily have to be told to do that. They do that because of their, you know, their passion, their their curiosity, their creativity to do more than their when what what they're they said they would do. So passion is number one that I look for. Fit is number two. Um, you know, I probably you know have looked a little bit less for kind of like, you know, experience and for you know like where you went to school and things like that. Because I've seen people that have went to the greatest universities and then people that, you know, maybe haven't went to universities that are you know, looked at as highly upon. That's not as important to me. Really the fit, you know, how you're going to fit in with the team and the culture of what the company I'm working at is and, and the passion. Those are the two most important things that I look at for, for, for how you're going to work. Um, and then from there, two other things, flexibility and creativity. If you got those, if you can be flexible and really adapt to a lot of things that are constantly evolving and changing, you're going to be in good shape because, um, you know, the business world is, 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 is constantly evolving. You know, no one knew a pandemic was going to go on, but Hey, here we are. No one knows what tomorrow is going to be. So if you can be flexible, if you can operate in a, in, 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 in an environment where there's a lot of ambiguity and get comfortable in that, you're going to be successful. And if you're creative, you're constantly going to be coming up with new ideas. A lot of people say they're creative, um, but very few people are truly creative enough to come up with an idea that they can commercialize. A lot of people come with ideas that, hey, this is my idea, and it's like, okay, it's it's a half idea, it's a kernel, but your creativity, I, I look for people that can not only come up with an idea, but also execute it, right? Those are the people that really excel in life, people that come up with a good idea and then can take it from A to Z, can take it from start to finish, and that's a skill because there's a lot of people that are fine, you know, working at 30,000 feet and saying, here's my great idea, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I think is great the people that can then take that and say, here's the idea, here's how we can commercialize it, here's all the factors that's going to make this something that can really make money for the company. Those are the people that truly excel in any organization, especially sports. I, I think that's great advice. We talk a lot about effort and attitude, and I think you touch on a lot of that uh, in what you just said. And uh, Jeff, I'm anxious to see what uh, the continuation of the growth of Tops, and you kind of made me go back to my the good old days uh, back when I was a kid. So I appreciate your time. Appreciate what you're doing. Uh, stay safe out there, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity, and uh, same to you. Hope you're staying safe and staying healthy. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. My guest today is Pat Cavanaugh. Pat is the founder and president of Ready Nutrition and a Pittsburgh native. Pat, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. We do share something in common. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Lived there till I was 10-ish. And uh, still a uh, giant Steelers fan. My love for baseball came from going to Three River Stadium back in the day, seeing oh, yeah. uh, Pirates games, went to plenty of Penguins game at the old Civic Arena. Uh, I still have family that lives out there. It's a great, obviously, it's a great sports town. Uh, great, great fans, win or lose, they're there with you, which is awesome. They, they are. I used to get, when I was living all around the country, I used to just make sure to get the uh, direct TV so that I could get the Sunday ticket so I could make sure to watch the Steeler games. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. It, it is great. And uh, got to love, uh, I, I love my Steelers. I love my Steelers. So um, take us a little back through your, your backstory. You have a great entrepreneurial spirit. And I've been going through some of your uh, stuff I found out about you on the um, on the website. You were a, uh, you were a pit basketball player, but it doesn't sound like you were the most highly recruited pit basketball player in the world. You know, a, a lot of people don't know. I actually came to Pitt to play football as a quarterback. No kidding. Yeah. So I went to uh, West Point's prep school after I you know, graduated from uh, Grove City High School. Went to West Point's uh, prep school at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Got the appointment there and um, turned that down to uh, uh, ultimately come to Pitt. I had uh, scholarship offers in football from Holy Cross and Lehigh and George Mason in basketball. And I'll never forget uh, one day calling my dad up and saying, hey, Dad, Lehigh just offered me a full scholarship to come and play quarterback. I'm going to turn it down. I'm going to walk on at Pitt. <laughs> what, what was his reaction? What you're hearing right now, silence. Nothing. Silence. He was stunned. 
he said, well, you know, you're, uh, your, your mother and I are teachers. You're going to have to pay your own way. So make long story short, did that. Uh, it's, I was a fifth-string quarterback. I actually got red-shirted that year. And uh, Robbins had just come over from uh, coaching David Robinson at Navy. Had some Prop 48 guys and um, ended up being 6'2", 210 quarterback. It was a little rough the first few weeks. And uh, a month later, they had offered me a full scholarship, and I just stuck with hoops after that. That's, so why did you make the decision to turn down full scholarship at uh, Lehigh to go play at Pitt? Well, for, for, for me, I wanted to challenge myself. Obviously, you know, Lehigh, Holy Cross, George Mason for hoops, all, all good, you know, D1, mid-major D1 programs, uh, good academically, et cetera. But at the end of the day, for me, um, I knew I was going to be challenged um, in all facets if I went to uh, at Pitt and uh, had enough uh, – whether you want to call it craziness or confidence, huh. uh, maybe a little bit of both to uh, go out there and do that. So uh, ultimately, that's what uh, you know I had done, and uh, it was one of the best uh, decisions I made. And you were a two-time captain, right? I was. We're fortunate to have great teams. You know, we were uh, ranked number two in the country my sophomore year. I played with some great guys: Charles Smith, uh, Jerome Lane, Demetrius Gore, uh, Curtis Aiken. We we had some great uh, talent, and. Uh, you know, went to the NCAA tournament three of my four years, won the Big East two of the four, and um, it really taught me how to uh, how to be a part of a winning uh, program. So when you get out of school and you're starting your business career, um, can you take us through that? Uh, where, where were some of the spots? Where does the entrepreneurial spirit come from, and what kind of led you to uh, you know uh, Ready Nutrition and Come Ready? Well, quickly, my entrepreneurial st- uh, spirit started way back when I was, uh, you know, 10 years old. Old. I went door to door in my neighborhood selling uh, flower seeds and uh, and huh. shoes, and shoes from a magazine. Um, never shoes from a magazine door to door. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Oh my god! I actually, had my my sample kit, but I remember my mom saying, "Hey, um, um, you got a letter from the national sales manager asking if you wanted to be the." Uh, the sales the sales manager for the area the person didn't know I was 10 years old I guess I had <laughs> so you got an offer for a full-time yeah. sales manager job in yeah. 10 yeah 10 years old um, that's amazing but you know for for me you know it's interesting I, I've never worked for anybody else um, I, I had an internship after my freshman year at Pitt in an accounting uh, department um, in downtown Pittsburgh but you know for me my entrepreneurial spirit was was really started like I said back when I was younger um, and, you know, when you're on scholarship, you're, you're really only uh, allowed to work during the, the summertime. So it, it really uh, for, for me was a great uh, bridge from my younger days to my pit days to ultimately uh, doing something that I love to do. And that's one of the things I say to the young executives and to really athletes coming out of school is find something you like to do. Um, I, I tell athletes all the time, think about this. If you would go try out for a sport that you've never played before. What do you think your interest level would be and your chances for success? And I think a lot of times when people are coming out of school, they just try to take the, the, you know, the first job or first set of jobs. And at the end of the day, it may give them a paycheck in the short term, but they're miserable, you know, six months yeah, right. later. And ultimately, that's kind of been my, my guiding light for me. Do something you love to do. So how did you get into what what is it about what is it about what you're doing now and what's kind of led to what you're doing now to you know to start this company uh, you know that's very uh, athlete and sports focused. Well, you know my my mom's a dietitian nutritionist, so we we grew up. Uh, I hate to say it on celery and carrot sticks. None of my buddies wanted to come to our house growing. <laughs> um, so I, I had uh, had that growing up, but I think from a sports perspective. Uh, Rob, it was it was something that I realized was a way to have an advantage on other athletes. Um, you know, that was a long time ago. But for me, I uh, always tried to eat right, try to do the right thing nutritionally. And, you know, in today's uh, world, uh, you know, all the studies show as much as 25 percent of athletic performance is predicated on uh, nutrition. So nope. I'm all about focusing on what you can control, effort, attitude, I say all the time, and nutrition. Yes, I We're going to talk about that. Keep going. Yep. So it's I, I think from a from an athletic career perspective, uh, while a lot of a lot of the guys were eating fast food, having their stomachs you know screwed up at an inappropriate time during a game, that was something that I I felt was a, a competitive advantage for me. So I was going through your website and uh, I almost went through the screen. Um, 
when I saw your uh, effort, attitude, energy uh, mantra. I've said on this podcast a hundred times, and people say I should make it a T-shirt. Uh, that said, there's two things in life you can control: is your uh, attitude and your effort. If you uh, give the proverbial 110 percent and do it with a smile on your face, uh, we'll uh, you, you're 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 way ahead of the curve, and the the rest can be taught. Uh, where did it. your mantra of attitude? Uh, effort, attitude, and energy uh, come from because I feel like we're speaking the uh, same language. We must be uh, related down the road. Yeah, we uh, we definitely have that same mindset. I think we've all seen, especially in sports, where there's been athletes that have a lot of talent, um, God-given talent, that have not uh, maximized that. And uh, yeah, right. I've always uh, I've always tried to go back to John Wooden has had so many great quotes, but the, one of the quotes that I love about him is. Uh, measure your success not by what you have accomplished, by, but by what you should have accomplished. And I think huh. at the end of the day, um, as an athlete, really anybody, you got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, win, lose, or draw, I gave maximum effort every day, and I didn't let other people dictate how I was going to approach my business. So what are when you st- so t- tell me how did you start ready nutrition where did it where how did it begin well it was actually a second business my first business coming out of pit was a uh, was a marketing uh, branded uh, merchandising company and you know as i as i just said i was tr- trying to follow my own advice I, I enjoyed it i loved it but at the end of the day my passion was really about uh, helping people in general and in particular athletes so um, that mindset of nutrition impacting people is something that I gravitated towards. I'm a pretty, uh, pretty clean eater today, have been, again, back to my uh, younger days. And so for me, one of the things that I realized, I choked down a lot of bad tasting uh, protein bars and nutritional products at Pitt. And I said, if I ever, if I ever launch a company, first, first number one thing is the product got to taste great and it's got to be clean. Um, as you know, uh, if a product can have great nutritional uh, facts, ingredients, but if it doesn't taste good, people aren't eating it again. They're just, yeah, right. So we, we felt that we had to make sure that the product tastes great. Number one, number two, all natural organic products. Uh, number three, no sugar alcohols, you know, sugar alcohols are an ingredient that a lot of companies will use to reduce their sugar counts. The, the, the challenge with that is it, it causes a lot of GI distress in people. So, um, upset stomach, et cetera, especially in high aerobic sports. So for us, uh, that and not having a lot of sugar um, in products, those were kind of our tenets of our of our product architecture that we follow. Gotcha. And you have created yourself a heck of a, uh, a niche. You um, you've got your uh, partnerships with uh, four Division One conferences and over three hundred schools. Can you talk a little bit about your business model? Yeah. So for us, you know, I, we. Um, you know, we compete with some large companies. We compete against, you know, Coke and Pepsi and, you know, other large uh, CPG companies. So for us, I always say to our team, you know, we've got to do more with less, at least at this part of our journey. And so one of the things that we felt there was some lack of focus on or, or opportunity within the market from an athletic perspective is to focus on the mid-major uh, conferences, which, which we have done, and really utilize their championship formats across all sports to get our product um, you know, sampled, tried, et cetera. When you're, when you're banking on taste, clean nutritionals, and you're not a household name yet, trial is very important. So our strategy has been from day one in that channel has been to uh, partner with conferences at the mid-major level, where maybe their resources aren't as uh, abundant from a, say from a power five school in particular, and provide them that uh, those products that they may not have the budget for. That's number one. Secondly, we've identified uh, power five schools that we work with that really follow our mantra in terms of low sugar, no sugar alcohols, clean ingredients. And while obviously most schools want to do that, uh, if there's contractual obligations with brands that don't have that nutritional profile, the reality of it is sometimes they're using products that may not be their number one choice. So we've identified those and really provided a more cleaner, better tasting product for them. Um, it's very interesting. What challenges do you see when you get into that? You know, uh, when someone's got a big giant deal with Coke, are you just kind of out because your products range from bars to drinks, uh, to powders and all in between. 
So how do you kind of get your product uh, into the market when there could be larger deals with the behemoths of the world like Coke and Pepsi? Yeah. Well, you know, for for us, the reality of it is there are very uh, there are very small windows of opportunity. And that doesn't mean just because there's an opportunity, it's best for our business. What we have found is that a lot, whether it's the school directly or whether it's with, um, you know, an IMG or somebody that retains those rights for that school or that conference, there are usually what I'll call carve outs or uh, options for nutritional products. It's a little bit different than footwear or apparel where once, you know, a, a Nike or Under Armour, Adidas, et cetera, has a deal and you got to wear that footwear, that uniform with nutritional products. Um, what we've seen is even when there are what I'll call campus-wide deals or pouring right scenarios, the schools still have the ability to purchase product. And that's typically what gives the food service or the, um, the nutritionist or the strength coach some flexibility. So they're not getting flavor fatigue or having the same brand, you know, drink or bar all the time. And for us, we've really tried to zero in on the protein products because that's typically where we see opportunity in the landscape today. Gotcha. Um, and with this, it's been really, where do you see this growing in, uh, where do you see your business growing? And I found one of the, as we're, we kind of focus on the sports and the sports business of this, um, talk about your athlete program uh, that you have um, created. Yeah, so I think a couple of things in terms of just finishing off on the on the college uh, landscape. I, th I think the one thing that we'll continue to do is to work in conjunction with the sports uh, nutritionist and these um, and the performance directors, strength coaches, if you will, at the various schools. Because a lot of times at the larger with the larger brands, there are pro products that are used at retail that may just be a, a plug and play, if you will, on college campuses. Not all the time, but. So for us, drilling down to the what I'll call the the younger athlete, high school and down, you know, we've recently partnered with the um, the AAU. So we are now um, replaced Gatorade um, sports drink of all of AAU sports, seven hundred thousand athletes, forty one. Oh wow! And that was important for us because at the end of the day, it, it got us um, in the game, if you will, with this audience. So many of those athletes, as you know, and their families are looking for opportunities for those kids to earn scholarships or play at the next level. So we feel we can impact uh, not just getting them to try our products. We can also help them get the proper mindset and the proper expectations, if you will, on what's needed to play at the next level. That's number one. And then secondly, um, we have recently just completed and we'll be launching actually this week, what we're calling our 30 day bundle programs. And for the most part, they will be available to the younger uh, athletes and their families, but it really was born out of the, the environment at the college level where the athletes were sent home, you know, because of obviously the, the current environment. And, you know, colleges are, as you can imagine, in, I don't call it necessarily a state of flux, but trying to get their bearings under them, see what the landscape's going to look like, how are they going to take care of their athletes. And so we've really honed in on that to try to do our part to help these athletes stay uh, eating clean. Gotcha. And I, I noticed that you've got a, uh, a very good relationship with one of the NFL's uh, great players, Aaron Donald, who was a pit guy. Uh, how did that come about? Yeah. So, you know, the one thing I love about Aaron is um, uh, his head stayed the same size, even when he's, uh, you know, signed, signed uh, you know, large contracts. Um, and I think that's a testament to him. Um, great person first and foremost, but his, uh, his, his uh, sister Akita, runs uh, their AD99 Foundation, which has really helped underprivileged kids in the Pittsburgh area. They had reached out to us, you know, being a Pittsburgh-based company, uh, to provide product for their summer uh, football program. And to make a long story short, Aaron obviously got exposed to the product. Uh, we had known about each other. I think we may have maybe met once at a pit function previously. Loved the product. And uh, from there, you know, really three months later, we, uh, you know, we met, talked in more detail, what my vision was, how he wanted to be involved. And uh, it was just kind of a natural fit. It, it uh, actually came very naturally and easy for both of us. So how big are, are you doing all those deals? How big is your staff uh, that's going out and uh, trying to, you know, get more schools involved and, and more players involved, assuming that's your growth strategy? Yeah. 
So, you know, our, within our sales team, we've got um, one individual right now that focuses um, on the college space. We're actually going to be bringing on two additional people just because of our growth in that space. Uh, job alert, job alert, job alert. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So um, while the college business and the athlete business is not the, um, you know, the main revenue driver for our company at this point, it's an important one. We kind of subscribe to what some people say is the toothpaste theory. You know, what, what toothpaste you use when you leave college, you're typically going to use that for the next 10 years of your life. So, um, and um, I believe in that. So, you know, I bring that up only because for us, having the athletes on college campuses um, that are, you know, typically, you know, more visible movers and shakers, people looking at them and what they're doing, um, that's an important audience for us as they go into the next area of their life. And when you are, you just talked about it, when you're growing your uh, staff, um, and with our podcast, it's so focused on young sports executives. Um, what are you looking for uh, when people are just starting out? Of, um, excuse me, are just starting their their career? Is there specific attributes? Is there specific um, assets that a potential uh, employee of yours uh, can bring to the table? That's a great question. And, um, you know, I think from a young executive perspective, at least, you know, re related to our business, you know, we've got, you know, we've got our brand ambassadors that are what I would call a, a hybrid between a sales position and really a communicator of the brand out, uh, out on the street in various channels. But I think at the end of the day, any great organization, whether it's in athletics or, you know, in business, uh, it all starts with that culture. Um, and, and for us, uh, it's you know kind of what we went back uh, talked about earlier, which is that effort and attitude. You know, I think one of the things that uh, I love about athletes in general and anybody that's used to competing is they're used to dealing with adversity. You know, uh, I always say everybody looks good in the layup line. Get them in the game. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I say that because I think for for uh, young adults coming out of college. They have to ask themselves, just like in sports, why does it? Why should the coach play me instead of somebody else? What am I bringing to the table? And I think that one of the things that I always suggest for people that are just coming out of school or looking early into their career, what are you doing on a daily or weekly basis to bring value to your organization? And I think in interviews, it's important to be able to say, Here, here's how I'm improving my quote-unquote game. I'm taking X amount of time over the course of the week. I'm reading in certain industries. I'm keeping on top of things. I'm being active in the proper way on social media. All these things that if I'm looking to hire somebody, um, I think are important. Um, one of the things that's interesting about us with, with some of our positions, we actually have people do push-ups um, through the process. Um, and that's an important exercise for us because I believe it's a uh, it's a mentality assessment, if you will, not necessarily a physical one. No kidding. You make people do actual push-ups? Well, we don't make them do them, but we give them the opportunity. And I'll give you a quick example why. So if I'm yeah. determining to, to hire someone, let's say yourself, you, Rob, versus um, you know another individual. And I say, Rob, all right, how many push-ups do you think you can do? And you say, I think I can do 20. The other person says, I think I can do 40. So person gets down, they do 40 push-ups. Hey, Pat, I said you could do 40. I did 40. Um, now you, you said you're going to do 20. So you get to 15, your arms are shaking. You look like you're going to fall down, can't do anymore. You end up grinding out seven more and you do 22. Who do you think I'm hiring? Yeah, right. The one that, I'm that pushed you. themselves. Right? I'm going with you all day long in my mind. doesn't always work that way, but I'm going to win with you because probably the other person's a clock puncher. Okay, boss, I'm supposed to be there at nine and leave at five. I said I was going to do 40. I did 40. I'm going to win with you because <laughs> you're going to do a little bit more. So it's a mindset. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it sounds simple, but that effort and attitude, that culture, uh, putting the team before yourself, a lot of the same things, especially that athletes can relate to throughout their careers. So if you're looking for a job, you better start doing your push-ups now and uh, know what your number is and then be able to go past it, huh? Yeah, I will, I will tell you that there was, a, there was an individual we had in our finance department a few years ago um, that could do three push-ups on their knees, three on their knees, three months, yeah. 37 regular push-ups. No kidding. It was unbelievable. Not where you start, it's where you finish. 
It's not where you start. It it is it is where you where where you finish. I think uh, with your growing um, with your growing uh, business, it's uh, it's one of those things where we kind of tell our folks and, uh, and the listeners is, you know, you need to expand your mind past um, you know just the you know teams uh, to work for and such like this. Uh, opportunities like this give you the opportunity to get in a, uh, in a different avenue of sports, but still be very um, much involved. Do you feel like you have to sell people on that? Do you have to go about uh, anything from a recruiting standpoint of employees that's different because you're um, a, a product and not say like a, a team or a, a college that's, you know, right there involved in sports or is it just, uh, or, or, or what is it about your recruiting process? Yeah, we, that's a, that's a great question. We, we are constantly, uh, recru- recruiting and looking for individuals that fit our, uh, our mindset and our mentality. Uh, and that's a combination of, uh, Traditionally, in the past, through shows, through on-campus visits, um, consistently on social media, uh, at events, uh, we're looking for these individuals that uh, that fit our mold. And it's it's never what I would call a uh, a hard sell um, at the end of the day. But you know, I, I tell our team all the time: um, think about you know you, you like the Steelers like I do. Think about trying to make the Steelers roster after one of those years they won the Super Bowl. It's going to be pretty tough. And for us, yeah, right. Um, I bring that up only because we don't just let anybody on board. We it's they're either um, they're either understand our mentality, they're committed to it, they understand their role as somebody new coming in. Um, and I think in this environment, was unfortunately with so many people um, unemployed right now. Prior prior to the last three weeks, just to give you an example, we we had posted uh, positions all over the country that we're filling right now. Um, and we've received over 500 applicants for them. So, you know, it, wow. it's a matter of uh, filtering through the people, um, you know, that, that we feel, at least on paper, are, are worth talking to initially and what makes them stand out. And at the end of the day, you know, getting them in the game with us and trying them. What are some of the well, – you got 500, right, for, um, uh, you know, a growing sports nutrition brand. You've got 500 applicants. What separate – what have you seen the best way that people have separated themselves uh, to try and get a position with you all? That's a great question. Um, I won't give it up. Well, you can keep saying that. I, I've had great questions all day. You, I'm on fire. You are. So um, <laughs> we'll see how long that streak continues. But it we'll, end the, we'll end the interview pretty soon. Yeah. In, in terms of, uh, you know, what we look for, obviously, are extracurricular activities. Somebody, uh, an athlete, uh, have they worked through college? Have they paid their own way? Some of the what I would call traditional ways to look, but I think beyond that, one of the things that uh, that we put a lot of emphasis on is because we are a nutrition company. Are, are they are they competing? Are they uh, you know in terms of whether it be CrossFit, whether it be in certain um, you know half marathons, ten k, five k, three k? Are they doing things nutritionally and from a wellness perspective that that uh, fall into our kind of mindset of you know, we always say making your best better. And then also volunteer work. Can't emphasize enough. You know, one of the things we're we're big on giving back uh, to the communities that we uh, that we work within is you know our people putting others first. Because at the end of the day, you know if you have a if you have a group of individuals that have that mindset, it, it sure makes it nice to be able to uh, to work together with day in and day out. Yeah, the volunteerism and basically you're saying is you know show a whole bunch of effort and. Uh, do it with a positive attitude with a whole bunch of energy and you'll be all right. Yeah, that's uh, it always is one of those things that sounds simple and looks good on paper, but it's surprising how many, uh, people consistently um, uh, you know, do not deliver on that. It's, uh, it's easier said than done. Well, um, before I, uh, you know, ask a bad question, um, I just want to say uh, thank you very much for taking the time and and uh, and spending some time with us today on Front Office Features. We had a I had a great time speaking with you. I think uh, your story is great. I think that uh, I love your mantra of the uh, effort, attitude, and energy. It falls right within ours, and uh, I think you gave some great insight to some uh, up and coming uh, sports executives that might be uh, that might be knocking on your door soon. Hey, Rob, uh, love your show, love your platform, love you. 
love your mentality as well. Obviously, like you said, it's uh, yours ours. Keep up the great work and keep providing the good information for your listeners. Well, thank you so much. Stay safe out there and uh, and be well, okay? Name, thank you. <laughs>